to the podcast Woo! the vinyl Fine. frontier i did forget it that time <laughs> <laughs> uh the thing we record what's it called what's it called that oh, was right. perfect day by dem atlas you showed me dem atlas and it changed my life dude one Love of the best that. yeah uh, yeah fucking dope uh definitely dem atlas i think is totally underappreciated um, not even that he's breaking any new ground. He, it's just solid, man. He's solid. He's creative. He's unique. Uh, that it, one of the best samples I think ever. I completely agree. The reason I thought to play this today is because, so, um, the other night we were having a, a uh, little power hour night and I, <laughs> I, I, sure. I, I, I actually texted you about this. So we, uh, we started with like a yacht rock power hour and then that Michael McDonald song came on, and I was like, oh, this is a decent song, but you know what's better? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dem Atlas, when he samples that, oh, it was great. Great time. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, me me and the, on uh, actually Friday for St. Patty's Day. Wait, yeah. Is that when you were doing yours? Because that's I, when you texted me. Wasn't actually, it? I think it was. Yeah. It, I think it was. Yeah. Because we did not go out. We didn't either. Yeah, sure. So um, we were having a chill night, but uh, Charlotte bought some Jameson for us. So we were doing cocktails and, you know, we drank a little bit. We were having a good time. And uh, yeah, we um, we did a so we we did a we found a really good 90s one. We found one of the better ones like musically. Okay. we found a really good 90s one. And then we did a teen angst one. Oh, yeah. But it was so bad. Do oh. you remember the band Cartel? Uh yes, I loved Cartel. Oh, that's really... <laughs> Are you about to talk shit about them? <laughs> yeah, that's really fucking depressing to hear. Oh no. <laughs> because they are so bad. <laughs> okay. The There's worst. only like one or two songs by them that I even know, so <laughs> Sure. Yeah. But I love those two songs. I mean, I totally get it because you were probably super into them during the era that they were popular yeah when it was appropriate when it was appropriate yeah exactly which which sure i i totally understand uh but god i i hated them then and i fucking hate them now (laughs) i fucking hate that band it is a dumb band name their music is shitty uh but it was a lot of stuff like that just like really because like cartel isn't angsty music and we were really upset because we were hoping to have more of the actual angst. Yeah, I get that. So there's two songs that have been driving me crazy on every power hour. And and obviously you're it depends on what power hour you're doing, but there's two songs that are in almost every power hour. The first song is Feel the Vibration by Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Oh sure. Yep, yep. I've seen that I am one. So yeah. tired of hearing <laughs> that fucking song. <laughs> it's terrible. Because it's in every guilty pleasure, it's in every '90s, it's in every, you know, shit like that. And it, I just, I'm so fucking sick of that song. 
Because it's not fun. It's it, there's you know you make the joke about Mark Wahlberg beating up Asian people, and that's all you get. <laughs> For sure. Yep. You know what I mean. <laughs> then the second time, it's less funny. The third time, it's just like, oh my god, this song is terrible. Why did anyone yeah. like this? <laughs> uh, the other one is uh, the anthem by Good Charlotte. Oh God, I hate that song. God. It. <laughs> it I just. It's hard to listen to. <laughs> I can't listen to Good Charlotte. Actually, I remember one time I was thinking about this the other night while we were watching our Power Hour because we were doing a power uh, pop punk Power Hour as well after mm-hmm. the Yacht Rock Power Hour one, um, naturally. Um, yeah, that's a then, hop, skip, and a jump, <laughs> right? but I do get it. <laughs> uh, but I remember specifically one time I was at work and a buddy asked me, uh, hey, do you listen to Good Charlotte? <laughs> and I was like, Without missing a beat, I was like, no, my parents love me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Which is funny, because most of my friends have nostalgia for good Charlotte. (laughs) I don't. So it's just totally lost on me. Yep, yep, same. And I'm like, and they're like, they look like they're 45, dude. That's what drives me crazy, is they're like 45-year-olds fucking, you know. (laughs) Like, homie, you're about to retire. What are you talking about? <laughs> they did put out a disco album, by the way. Well, I think I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, I say disco, but I mean they put out a dance album. Gotcha. And it's, if you thought you hated Good Charlotte now. <laughs> well, hey, just you wait. Just you wait. There's more. They found a way uh, to get worse. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot. I was going to tell you something. Oh. Guess what I'm drinking? Oh, yeah. Your wife may have <laughs> let this slip a little bit. Yeah, she does that. Yeah. Um, well, so uh, for the listener out there that's listening to this in oh, yeah. April, um, <laughs> this is actually St. Patty's Day weekend. So uh, like you, I did not go out and do anything fun, but I did go to the store and pick up a six pack of Guinness. All they had was Guinness Extra Stout. Have you yeah. ever had this one? Yeah, I definitely like it. I think because I'm a stickler with Guinness where I have learned to appreciate Guinness in a bottle. Yeah. It's probably my least favorite way of drinking it. Yeah. Um, because if you... <laughs> if you're a stickler for Guinness, you're going to hate this pour. Yeah, man, did a... I fuck up. <laughs> yeah, did you even try? That's half and half, man. That might actually be 60% head, 40% oh, no. beer. Well, I'm going to wait a bit on that one. Damn yeah. it. <laughs> I don't drink enough Guinness. I always forget how to pour it properly. <laughs> well, um, for the uninitiated, uh, Guinness is my favorite beer. Let's just make that part clear. Second part, when you buy Guinness in a can, and the pint can, it has the little nitrogen-filled widget. And, you know, it. I honest to God, uh, also Heineken has one. Oh, cool. Um and it, and it's really good. It and, and I think it it basically simulates having a having a beer on draft. And I actually think it does a really good job. Um, but I would drink Guinness at a bar and really like it when I was like starting out drinking. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, it's <laughs> weird to think about when I was learning. Um, <laughs> right. And then uh, I would buy a six pack in the bottles and take it home, super excited to have Guinness, and I just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And finally, after all these years, I realized that Guinness in a bottle is a different experience. I think you can learn to love it. It has to be very cold. That's what I learned. Yeah, it needs to be really cold. Personally. Oh yeah, I, I put this glass in the freezer for about ten minutes before I poured it. That's that's the good move right there. 
and I and I think, and I'm sure there's people that would disagree, but I think it's a really good way to experience Guinness. I think yeah. a very cold Guinness is is the way to go. Um, but anyways, it took me a long time to even get used to normal Guinness in the bottles. But what I did always like was the extra stout because I've never seen that in a can. It's only been in a bottle. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I got to be honest. Yeah, I really like the extra stout. Yeah. I, I, I really like it too. Um, well, you know, you, we've talked about this. I'm, I wasn't a big Guinness fan. Um, I will drink one, but I don't normally like go out of my way to find one. Um, but it, this is the first time I've had that extra stout. And uh, I had one last night and I was like, this is probably the best Guinness I've had. I don't know what is extra stout about it, but it, to me, it tastes like there's more flavors. Like, cause that's that, probably what it that's is. been my biggest issue with Guinness. It's like, it's not a bad tasting beer. I just don't think it tastes like anything. It tastes like thick water. <laughs> I, I, uh, I actually had went out last night and I went to a restaurant that had Guinness. So I got to have it on draft, which was awesome. I had two, nice. uh, and there's something on the back end of Guinness. I don't know if it's the barley factor or what it is, but there is just there's something that's there that's subtle that I just love, and that's why I like it so much. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So yeah, me and your wife have a game <laughs> where every time we drink a Guinness, we're morally obligated to text each other a picture of the Guinness with really nothing else that's to right. be said other than. <laughs> I I think really what it's culminated into is we do that and we'll send the picture and the other person will be like, good job. I'm proud of you. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And I don't know why. And we've just kept it going. She's, she's excited about doing it because Guinness is pretty much the only beer that she like loves. So when she found out that you were a Guinness head, she was like, Oh, me and Eli have a thing now. So Uh, that does make sense. And at the time, like and I've you know I said I've never been a big Guinness fan, so it's something that you guys can bond over, and you can be like, oh fuck, Mitch, he's insane, you know, like I don't right. know. <laughs> yeah, I that does make sense because I've never understood the why. I just never asked. It's just <laughs> I think I don't even know. I want to say she did start it. And I was like, okay, well, I accept these terms. We will just, <laughs> we'll do this until we die, she, I guess. For, for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I. <laughs> Uh, I sent her a picture of a Guinness I was drinking last night, and then she was like, "Oh, Mitch, uh, drink one with me. We got the extra stout," <laughs> and I was I was pretty surprised. So, yeah. <laughs> way to circle back to that text conversation. Um, Anytime. I'm drinking a Miller Light. That's on brand. <laughs> you know, you know nothing wrong with a good Miller Light. But I do have it in my brewmate. Nice. Because I'm in a cult. <laughs> a brewmate. All right, so Mitch, get us warmed up here. You have a start. You made what I would consider a wildly irresponsible purchase. (laughs) I really did. (laughs) And I have my personal reasons as to why I view it so irresponsible. Uh, But it is topical and would fit well in the podcast. So please regale us on your purchase and where the hell this came about. Okay. that's my main question. <laughs> so I treated myself, and this is a couple weeks ago now, I got a new guitar. Um, and I know what you're going to say. Mitch, you haven't played guitar in about 18 months. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> Already have to hop in here. You texted me that you've actually been kind of like selling off a lot of your gear because for you... 
playing guitar is not a thing that you'll stop doing, but maybe like songwriting and recording that has kind of faded away from your interest. Yeah. I'm kind of in a phase right now where I just have so much stuff going on in my life that, um, I'm kind of stepping away from writing music. And I know everyone's going to be so bummed to hear that because they've been like waiting for the next opus. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. Also a thing you didn't tell me when we started to reform our band again together. And then you kind of waited until I was like, yeah, man, I got A, I got B, I got C. And you're like, yeah, I'm kind of busy. <laughs> well, at the time, I did have every intention. It's not that I straight up lied to you. It just kind of fizzled out. And then it, the timing was right to step away. Um, yeah, I'm just giving you a hard time. I will admit it didn't click that time around anyways, so... It worked out for the best, but funny enough. But then you were like, yeah, well, I need a new guitar. <laughs> for sure. Well, so what happened was um, I uh, I was on social media, um, and there was a post about uh, a band I like, Wilco. Uh, you've heard me talk about them a lot. They were selling a lot of their uh, used gear on Reverb. And I was like, ah, oh, that's interesting. I'm intrigued by that. Um, so I kind of like made a mental note to check that out and... Uh, it said, okay, everything's going to like go up for sale at like Friday or whatever at like 11 o'clock. So like while I was at work, um, I kind of just like stopped what I was doing and I like loaded up their <laughs> reverb page. I, I just... com- Oh, I completely stopped everything. <laughs> I just okay. pulled up the reverb page. And uh, I was like, okay, well, let's see what happens. If there's anything like cool and cheap on there, I would love to own something that used to be owned by Jeff Tweedy. And, you know, if it's cheap, like a lot of they've done this before and they'll sometimes sell like cheap pedals or like really shitty guitars for like a couple hundred bucks. So I was like, well, I'll I'll do some shopping. I'll see what uh, what piques my interest. And um, so right when it launched, like I, I was kind of keeping an eye on like there were some pretty shitty guitars around the three four hundred dollar price range, and I was like I'm kind of intrigued in that. I'm gonna put this in my cart, think about it. By the time I thought about it, it had sold. Everything was selling just immediately. They wow. listed like three hundred stuff for sale. It pretty much all sold out within a half hour. Wow. Um, and I was like, at this point, I don't like. I don't think I told you this part. At this point, I didn't actually buy anything from their reverb store. I was like, uh, you know, everything I wanted is like either crazy expensive or gone immediately. So I'm just going to call it. And then, not to make it weird, <laughs> I do work in sales. And uh, as this was going on, a customer emailed me and was like, hey, this big sale that we've been working on, I'm ready to pull the trigger on. So I'm not going to get into numbers. I'm sitting to make a decent amount of money. Like at the same exact time this thing is happening. So I'm like, oh, this is fate. This is happening. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm i on like their reverb page. Couldn't really find anything. And I just searched reverb for like Jeff Tweedy guitar. Um, sure enough, one of their reverb sales that they had a few years ago that someone bought he was reselling this Dan Electro guitar. And I don't love Dan Electros, but it's cool. It's a black guitar. Um, you know, I have a thing about black guitars. Um, it was a pretty decent price. And it also comes with like this little signed framed certificate that he actually signed. Um, and before you knew it, uh, I bought it. <laughs> uh, I blacked out. And by the time I was awake, I owned a guitar that was once owned by Jeff Tweedy. Um, so I'm hmm. super excited about it. 
<laughs> yeah, because uh, my side of it was basically that of you just being like, hey, so I made like the dumbest purchase ever. <laughs> and, and then you just like sent me pictures of the Chef Tweedy guitar. Yeah. That, uh, the context of them selling off their gear on Reverb makes a lot more sense. And I guess for those who don't know, Reverb is a really popular website where people sell, uh, you primarily use gear on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a. That, that's its function in, in the realm, but it's a very popular one. Because um, my initial gut reaction was not that you bought a guitar owned by Jeff Tweedy. It was more of like, how can you honestly know? Because I don't fucking trust people. <laughs> and it had this certificate or whatever that he signed, which all this sounds a lot more legitimate hearing the full story. Right. But at the time, I'm like, there's no fucking way. <laughs> but then I was like, well, Mitch isn't dumb. I mean, I had to like circle back to that. I'm like, well, he's not dumb. He knows gear well. <laughs> so I guess I get it. I would trust him, but I'm I was just like, man, what if like you know, it's just he opens it up and it's fucking brand new. It's got the tag <laughs> on it. It's from fucking Sears or something. I, <laughs> I I had a lot of questions about how to really be how to really confirm the authenticity of it. Yeah, I mean, mostly just because they do sell off their stuff on Reverb every year or two. So um, sure. So I, I, I'm go. aware that it's out there. Um, and uh, yeah, the certificate like has like the date of their like last reverb sale. And then the seller was super cool about it too. Like he was a big Jeff Tweedy fan and he was like kind of bummed to get rid of it. But um, he, he was like messaging me all this cool like info about it. And he was like, yeah, when I bought it, I messaged like the, the Wilco people and asked like, hey, what's the story behind this guitar? Has it been used on any albums or anything? And unfortunately, no, it is not. Um, it was basically a, a guitar that Jeff Tweedy bought because he heard someone playing and uh, thought, thought it sounded cool and wanted to try to like take it on tour and stuff but it was just not a good enough guitar (laughs) so he never really used it on tour or any albums or anything like that but it was super cool man one of the things i love uh, and i've done this a couple times uh one of the things i love is when the first time you get a new guitar in your hands even if it's not yours if you go to like a guitar center and you grab this really badass guitar um one of my favorite thing is to just like see what comes out. I one time bought an Epiphone SG from Guitar Center because when I plucked it off the wall, the f- I just wrote this like kick-ass riff that was amazing. And I was like, this guitar... I, I, I feel like this guitar is responsible for this. It's one of the most amazing riffs I've ever written in my life. Sure. I'm going to take this home and see what else we can do. Um, that's kind of a feeling when I bought, when I played this guitar for the first time. Like, I was actually uh, sitting on the couch trying to play a Wilco song um, that I had never even attempted to play before. Um, and it's not like a crazy hard song or anything, but I started playing it. And uh, I realized, like, uh, I think he actually uses a capo in this song. So... You know me. I was sitting in my living room on my couch, and I was like, I don't really want to go get a capo. So what I did... What I did was use my finger as a capo and I just went up to the third fret and used my other fingers to play like the actual chords, which is a pretty easy thing to do on guitar, but it's something that I've never even really like attempted to do before. And I was flawless, dude. I was like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> I like, what's happening to me? Am I a good guitarist? 
And again, telling that story is embarrassing because you're like, yeah, that's that's pretty fucking easy. Everyone should know how to do that. Well, I, I've, yeah, I feel like you're just describing learning how to play bar chords. Uh, essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but but it, it no, that's not embarrassing. That's cool. That's. Well, it's not just bar chords. I will tell you to get real like nerdy. One of the songs is like a D minor, um, like an open D minor chord. And I did that like on capo three with my first finger. And then I did like, it's wild. (laughs) I mean, what you're describing sounds hard because you're basically like, I don't fucking need a capo anymore, which I'm like. Okay. <laughs> I knew. Uh, yeah, I knew that would be the reaction, man. I just don't know why you're not psyched about this. <laughs> I need to get me one of them Jeff Tweedy guitars. <laughs> Apparently, I'm evolving evolve into a new species. <laughs> Capos, I don't fucking need. <laughs> wow, this guy's badass. Um, no, that's uh, really cool. I knew bar chords is what was missing from my songwriting. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they they are incredibly hard to to really get down. Um, no, that, that, that I don't think that's embarrassing at all. Um, I think I think you're totally right. Guitars are just pieces of wood, really. When you boil it down, right? For sure. But it is weird. You'll pick one of them up one day. And it will just feel different. And uh, which is funny because like, you know, I was actually talking to you quite a bit mm-hmm. about potentially buying a new guitar because I thought the government would give me a lot of money. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that because um, I've had the same guitar since I've been about uh, 15. Mm-hmm. I still play an Epiphone Les Paul from when I was 15, which yeah. is, oh my God, 15 years ago. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, that hurts. So I've had the same guitar for 15 years. Um, and, uh, I had that experience with one of the Fender Duo Sonics when Fender came out with their player series, they did mm-hmm. like a reissue of the Mustang, the Duo Sonic, uh, and they had a couple versions of the Mustang. They had one with single coils, one with the P90s. Um, I would, I, I really, if I, if I had the money, I would have bought one right then. Um, whether it had been one of the Mustangs or one of those Duo Sonics, because those guitars are interesting because Fender made them as like student guitars. So everything's mm-hmm. kind of smaller. It's supposed to fit comfortably in for a person who is learning how to play guitar. Yeah. Uh, w- w- was the Fender, you know, nomenclature that they used. Right. <laughs> um, and I thought I wouldn't like them. I'm not a big single coil guy. I'm not a big maple fretboard guy. Uh, that, that's the one, the, the fretboards that are tan, that's maple wood, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. Had to just remind myself. (laughs) Um, not a big maple neck guy. I, I, I never had played that. I had only played the, um, the other wood that's blanking that actually (laughs) rosewood, (laughs) rosewood, but they're not rosewood anymore. Right. Typically. Uh, yeah, for the most part, Rosewood was kind of like being phased out because it's not as... Uh, uh, sustainable. Sustainable, yes, thank you. Um, yeah, Palfero is the wood they're using now. Correct, yeah. We've had this conversation. But I'm pointing it out just to say that I'm, I'm not a big single coil guy. I'm not a big maple, maple neck guy. But I picked up this Fender Duosonic, and I kind of fucking loved it. 
And if I had $500, I would have fucking bought it. <laughs> like, cause I was, I was playing stuff and I was playing it well and I was writing stuff I wouldn't normally write. Yeah. Like all of a sudden I sounded like I was in arcade fire and <laughs> I was like, this is dope. And you know, and, and I was like talking to a guy at guitar center, which was a mistake by the way. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I fucking, I fell in love with it and then I never bought it. Figured I'd buy one down the road. Now you fucking can't find them. So <laughs> I I get that. The the Jeff Tweedy guitar, the thing that really... Like, if I bought a guitar owned by Dave Grohl, I wouldn't play it. Yeah. But then I wouldn't buy it because I wouldn't play it, and guitars are for playing. So I guess my question to you is, I actually, I, I see it over there on your wall, actually. Yeah. So you play it. So you do play it. I did, yeah. I played it a few times, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and again, man, mostly because like that's there's a difference between like Dave Grohl and Jeff Tweedy. Number one, Jeff Tweedy is not a rocker known for his guitar playing skills. Um, he is a good guitar player, but he mostly plays like acoustic guitar. Um, so this isn't as sought after as like a Dave Grohl gives. Have you seen the prices on the Dave Grohl signature like three thirty five? Yeah, it is absolutely insane. I know, and it pisses me <laughs> off because I fucking want one. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, yeah, they look so cool. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, this guitar, I'm gonna play it because like it's from the '90s. Um, there's got a, it's kind of beat up a little bit. There's some scratches on it. You can tell. Like, I don't know who it was, but someone at one point had put like some star stickers on like the literal top of the guitar and then took them off because there's some like residue. If you oh. look at it in the right light, you can see the outline of like stars. Um. So yeah, this is not a great g- condition guitar, and that's why the reason I bought it. Um. So yeah, I'm gonna play it. It's like really cool and fun and you know and i'm also gonna hang it on the wall because it's it's cool it's good decoration too (laughs) yeah so for you it was like well i mean like sure i guess like jeff tweedy and dave girl are in two different camps but you know jeff tweedy is important to you you really like Mm -hmm. wilco oh yeah so i i guess like i mean i guess you're kind of right it would be like kind of like if i bought a guitar that was owned by I don't know, like Kim Thale from like Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. You know, I, he's known for his guitar playing. Like he's a very creative or original guitarist, but like, I don't know. I guess I'm having trouble quantifying this in the right way. I guess like for me, I was surprised that you bought it in the first place um, just because I didn't know you could do that and haven't thought about it. So I had to process that information. But then I was like, is he going to play it? Is he not going to play it? And then you were also like, yeah, I'm like selling most of my guitar stuff. So then like, I am. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like kind of surprised by it, but I guess I get it. It's more of like a, I, I feel like, like maybe if you're going to buy a guitar, here's a really cool, cool guitar to own, but there's nothing mm-hmm. so valuable about it that it's not one that I'm not going to pick up and play. Right, yeah. And that's the other reason I validated like buying it because I am also, like I said, selling off pretty much the rest of my amps, pedals. Um, I bought a kind of a new cool little practice amp that is, it's fine. It sounds fine, <laughs> but it's right. it's exactly what I need, so. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, so it's interesting. But that, I mean, that that's really cool. Um <clears throat> I had a joke earlier and I forgot it. <laughs> we're, we're, I'm gonna have to trim some dead air. 
Damn it. I can't remember. Damn it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Shit. All right. That's fine. Um, okay. Well, yeah. No, it's super cool. Like, I wasn't, like, judgy. Like, oh, wow, dude. I was just <laughs> no, like, I didn't think you were. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know if I would do that. But then, like, so I guess, like, here's an example to help me illustrate my point. If you could buy, like, Jimmy Page's guitar that he used in the song Remains the Same live DVD... And for whatever reason, you had like an extra like fifty grand or whatever. <laughs> sure. And yeah. you bought that guitar. Would you play that guitar? I don't think I would play that guitar. Okay. 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 <laughs> so that that kind of illustrates my whole thought process. Yeah. Well, because it. well, yeah. I mean, yeah. You 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 bring up a really good point, and kind of like I hit it this earlier, but like, yeah, Jeff Tweedy is mostly if he's known for anything guitar related, it's known for playing acoustic guitars, mostly like Martin or Gibson acoustic guitars. Um, so he, it's not like the oh yeah, he's the Dan Electro guy. It's not like you're buying Jimi Hendrix's Strat. You're buying like a single tool that this one person used for like maybe six months. Yeah. And it didn't <laughs> and then moved out. on. Right? Yeah. So cool. That, that makes me want to go check out, um, reverb and like, see if like there's bands I'm just into that randomly sell shit. Cause that could, it could happen. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. <laughs> I didn't know Wilco did that kind of, kind of makes me like, are you guys uh, hurting for money? Or? <laughs> yeah, I think they're, well, they're also like a Chicago band and Reverb is a Chicago company. So I think they kind of have some sort of partnership where uh, they just like each other. Yeah, that's right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. MTV, uh, unplugged. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah. So I did do my top five. I think the only difference is mine is kind of a top five of the ones that I think are the best but also the ones that I think are the most interesting. Yeah. So the quality of some of these MTV Unplugs will vary. Also, any modern MTV Unplug, they do not do the same, like how they used to in like the 90s and stuff when it was really popular. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot shorter sets. Most people don't go on and do like 20 songs mm -hmm. um, and things like that. So it's very different. So I, I just kind of went out of my way to pick like, these are ones that I think are really, really good, really, really solid. And then I put a few on my list that I had actually never listened to uh, or watched or so on and so forth that had these really interesting backstories that I thought was worth talking about. Yeah, cool, man. No, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I kind of included a couple on mine too that I wasn't even familiar with, but now they are my absolute favorite. Um, so let me just start off by saying this, like one of the reasons I love the idea of MTV Unplugged um, is because as a songwriter, I am positive I've had that conversation with you before. It's like, um, I think MTV Unplugged is what separates like a good artist from a great artist. We've talked about this before. As much as we both love pedals, if you take away Jimi Hendrix's guitar pedals or the Edge's uh, guitar pedals, I didn't mean to use those two in the same sentence, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, where are they going to be without their guitar pedals? Yeah. Um, so I, I just love the idea of like, okay, we'll take away your electric guitar and your amp. Here's an acoustic guitar. No effects. Is this still a good song? And I think that is such a good idea. Like, can you still do this if you don't have the technology behind you? And I think that is such a cool idea. Um, and some of my favorite MTV unplugs are like, oh, shit, I didn't realize this person was a good songwriter. Like, <laughs> the song stands on its own. Yeah, no, I think that's the best way to put it. Also, I was I was going to say because it made me laugh. But yeah, you take away Jimi Hendrix's one pedal in Edge's <laughs> billion. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker might as well be a computer. 
True. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, no, that's it. I heard a quote from Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins, who I have an on-again, off-again, love-hate relationship with. I am right there with you. God, I fucking <laughs> want to love him. And, and some days, I swear to God, he's my favorite guitarist and songwriter. And other days, I'm just like... <laughs> God, I don't like you for some reason. <laughs> but anyways, he had a quote and he said, I truly think that to really prove if a song is good, you have to just sit down and play it with an acoustic guitar. And if it still is good, then it's a good song. If it's not, yeah. it's not a good song. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And I've carried that with me through you know, a lot of my creative endeavors. Um, and I think it's uh, it's kind of a, a deep quote from uh, Billy Corgan that I was pretty surprised yeah. about. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I love the MTV Unplugged. Um, I, I wish it was still more popular. I, I would love for this to come back, but we're going to have Cardi B doing an Unplugged set. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I'd watch I've, it. I'm... <laughs> I'm I'm looking at a list of like pr- pretty much every artist that has ever done MTV Unplugged, and there has been a few uh, the past few years, um, but yeah, um, Miley Cyrus did one. Yeah, um, see now, now wh- BTS did one. Didn't know that. <laughs> see, this was one thing that I ran into. I did not expect to run into. There were so many. I I mean, clearly we have not listened to every single one of them. There are so many. Yeah, and, this has been going on since 1989. Yeah, and and I really thought that it wasn't a thing anymore at all. Like I didn't think anybody did this past 2010. Mm-hmm. So I I had a rude awakening, so I really had to be selective to try to filter out the ones that I thought would really have you know be worth my time. Oh, and yeah. like Miley Cyrus was one that I actually really wanted to watch, I never got around to. So some of them I didn't get to listen to. So yeah. you know we we did our best, but okay, Mitch. Well, with that being said, let's start at number five. I would love to hear your number. I, I'm going to let you go first on each number. Number five. Top five all-time MTV Unplugs. What you got? Okay, I'm going to get this out of the way right now. This is a really weird choice based on everything I just said about why I love MTV Unplugged. Because a couple years ago, 21 Pilots put out an MTV Unplugged, and you gotta watch it. Wow. Like, I I am not a fanboy for 21 Pilots. I, I never really have been. There was a time in my life where I really liked them a lot, and because of the Ohio connection, I thought that was pretty cool. But to this day, man, their 21 Pilots, their Unplugged is so good because what they do that is so unique to 21 Pilots is the reason I'm talking about it right now. Um, so MTV Unplugged, you know, what we just talked about, can you do this song on an acoustic guitar? 21 Pilots recognized none of our songs will sound good on just an acoustic guitar stripped down. That won't make a bit of sense to our music, and it's not even what we're about. We don't have any intentions on... We don't want to do that. So what they did is they were plugged up. (laughs) They They had all their synthesizers, their electronic drum machines and everything. But the key thing that they did was every song they did, they wrote and recorded on the spot. They didn't use any backing tracks. They kind of like, it was kind of an interactive, it was almost like a TED Talk. There were kind of like moments during it where they were kind of explaining to the audience like, okay, well, here's how you do this loop, and then we're going to sample this, and then he's going to loop it on top of this. And they they had like uh, logic open while they were doing this. And they were like, okay, I'm going to record this, and then Josh is going to like, 
put auto-tune on it and then it's going to sound like this. And it's so cool, man. They basically took five or six of their, you know, best songs, quote unquote. And they, their song selection was good too. It went back to the beginning, which is like when I was a fan of them, they did car radio, which is pretty much the first song I heard that was like, holy shit, these guys are amazing. Um, and they just broke it down. They completely rewrote every song from the ground up without using backing tracks. It was still just the two of them. You got to like peek behind the curtain of, oh, this is how you make like electronic music. Um, And it was just so wild to watch them do live. They're so good at what they do because they didn't like screw up at all. Like it was just so flawless. And just I my mind, I'm pretty I'm pretty good with audio stuff. I couldn't quite comprehend everything they were doing. Wow. So. Yeah. No, that um, I'm blown away that you picked them at all. I'm blown away. I that's, thought you would say that. Yeah, I'm blown away that that's what they did. Um, because I actually, uh, I think I was just talking to Aaron the other night, and I, 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 I kind of brag on you. I tell people I'm like, Mitch is really good he came into his own uh really with like producing and audio editing like i think you're very good at it like i think you've learned a lot of stuff so to hear that you had trouble following it would probably mean that i would be like dude what the fuck <laughs> yeah, right. you know i i would be lost i would be totally lost because i have a very basic elementary <laughs> right. understanding so yeah for you to be blown away yeah wow that's 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 yeah that's cool that's really it fucking was really cool man and like they I, I think that's one of the reasons they're so revolutionary is because they they recognize that like we can't do what everyone else does on mtv unplugged um and that's why this is so different than any of the other ones i've watched at one point they had like people from the crowd come up and like say a word or something into the mic and then they turned that into like a sample and oh, wow. like that was on the song it's crazy that's cool that's <laughs> cool yeah it kind of makes me think of um like reggie watts uh yeah sure. i thought you were gonna say reggie watts uh, no sure reggie watts is a good example he makes music in a very different way than mm-hmm. i would ever make music um but it made me think of uh when the food did their um documentary about sound city Oh yeah, and they did the album, and they you know did the Sound City Players thing. Um, it's kind of like how Dave Grohl talks about Trent Reznor. Uh, yeah, and basically you know being like they come from two very different like points of view of how technology should impact music, but then you see him work on music and play stuff, and it's just like oh wow, this is like him. Kind of, kind of like taming technology to work for him in a musical oh, realm. Yeah. Absolutely, and, yeah, man. Like a recording software is an instrument. Like they're using yeah. it live on stage yeah. as an instrument. <laughs> yeah, that's and it took me a long and, and you know and I and I fight against it because I'm just like nah, just you know get in a garage and set up mm-hmm. a couple busted ass mics up and figure it out, <laughs> you know. And and music has a place for that, but yeah, and and also he has one multiple grammys not just for like nine inch nail shit but him doing scores for movies (laughs) like i watched the social network that he did the soundtrack for and that movie kind of like blew my mind a little bit oh my god yeah i did not think i would like it as much as i did and i remember the music being otherworldly and ethereal and it weirdly added a bunch of elements to the movie that I didn't expect it would do. Mm-hmm. So he's a fucking genius. But no, I think it, it's like you said, technology, musical DAWs, you know, recording DAWs, things like that. Um, 
it is in itself an instrument and uh that's not to bring it back to guitar pedals but i guess <laughs> i'm going to so one of the reasons why i love electro harmonics pedals are they the best pedals in the world i i think most people would say probably not do you need to have the pipe organ electro harmonics <laughs> you know the hammond b9 pedal mm-hmm. no not at all i did hear my buddy logan though in his band yanoia which eventually we're going to talk a lot more about. I'm probably going to do an episode about them at some point. Cool. Um, that pedal is integral to that band's sound, or at least a major part of it. Mm-hmm. And that's wild. And um, they make those out there, off-the-cuff pedals, and just people find a way for it to have an application. And I think that's what's really cute, cool. So, you know, technology definitely has a place. In, and if you're really good at that part you're going to do stuff that like no matter how good you are at music you're just not going to understand how they're getting there. right so <laughs> yeah that's an interesting one wow yeah i thought that was an interesting one that would way to shake it up um yeah what about you what you got for number five number five i have oasis oh, okay shit all right all right so i picked oasis mainly for the story <laughs> yes so oasis is uh you know the the two main components being noam and liam gallagher being the brothers uh Mm -hmm. notorious for being in giant drag out fights um like legitimately like fist fights and shit so they were slated to do this mtv unplugged they did everything like totally normally and i think rehearsed with um they rehearse with Liam and everything. Who Liam is the actual lead singer, technically. Mm-hmm. Um, but Noel Gallagher can also sing and does a lot of the writing and stuff like Most that. Most of the writing, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, you know a little bit more about Oasis, so hop in whenever you feel the need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but they rehearsed it with Liam and everything, but then like they were going to go on, and basically he was like, oh, I have a sore throat, I can't sing. Oh, there was a fight, too. I think they, they got in a fight during the rehearsal. Then Liam's like, bah, I have a sore throat or whatever. And then cut to Noel having to go out there and play guitar and play all the songs. And then also sing them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> um, Which is kind of fucking insane. Um, but, my, but the best part is that later on, they cut to Liam Gallagher in the fucking audience in like yeah. a skybox drinking a beer and smoking a cigarette and just kind of <laughs> chilling. And it's like, what the absolute shit is this band? It's crazy. But you know what? Like what, what I think is so cool about that set, Noel crushed it, man. Like <laughs> that's I'm team Noel for sure. Yeah. Like, like he, he did such a good job. Yeah. That's <laughs> like the other thing. And then you watch it and listen to it all. And it sounds really good. And I also like it because Noel, who, if I'm correct, did do a majority of the writing, meaning, like, he he did pretty much all of it, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, I mean, obviously, like, you know, Liam's there, I'm sure, working on it together, but I think it all comes from Noel. And I think you got to see that band in a different light because you're seeing a guy where most of the songs come from actually be the one to play and sing the songs. Mm-hmm. And I think it gave a lot of different context um, and I think they kill it also. It's like the whole band does well. Um, Oasis is like a lot cooler than I ever thought they were because obviously everybody <laughs> just like, 
you know, Wonderwall, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, anyway, here's Wonderwall. Um, right. <laughs> you know, over and over and over again. Um, but they're, they were, per, uh, they're fucking cool, man. They're cool, man. And yeah, I've, I've been a no holds barred Oasis fan since like when I was in high school, middle school, when I heard Oasis, when I heard Wonderwall, I was like, this is pretty good. I wonder what else they got. And I would just like went down the rabbit hole and you know, I, I agree. Wonderwall is like pretty overplayed. Um, but man, they have some songs that are a, you're gonna burn me at the stake i think they're in 90s beatles they were doing some like beautiful songwriting stuff um obviously the english connection but yeah man they were a 90s version of paul mccartney and john lennon I, i'm gonna be 100 <laughs> percent honest with you mitch i totally fucking agree thank you <laughs> uh yeah and, and they did something for for rock and roll you know at that time that i think needed to happen um i'll, I'll say this and then we'll go to your number four uh don't look back at anger is a song that I've had a tumultuous relationship with. <laughs> so when I very first heard the song, I hated it because it was a very clear jab at Nirvana. Oh. <laughs> it, maybe not particularly Nirvana, but like, no, it is. It 100% is because I remember Noel said, I heard Nova Nirvana wrote a song and put one out called I Hate Myself and I Want to Die. And he said, fuck that. I'm going to write the complete opposite of that and wrote, don't oh, look back wow. in anger. Um, so I know that it's like directly connected. Um, but then I met you and one of the first <laughs> songs that we covered and it ended up being a really good cover was don't look back in anger. So now when I hear it, I always listen to it. I always sing along with it. And then uh, I actually saw Portugal, the man covered don't look back wow. in anger. And it was really good. And I watched it actually that Friday night when we were texting, and I teared up a little bit. I got a little, Aww. I got a little nostalgic because I remember there was something about that song where it's like, you know, I knowing where the song came from kind of came from a place where I'm like, you know, well, Nirvana's really important, and then like, you know, Oasis is like, well, fuck you, you know, maybe you shouldn't be <laughs> such a fucking downer. <laughs> and and that was kind of like the song that you brought to the table, and I was like. I remember in our dorm room covering the song, working it out. And I remember thinking there's there's something a little bit different about this guy. Maybe I should <laughs> maybe I should listen to what he has to well, say. What what I remember being so weird about that, and I probably wouldn't have done it today, but I'm glad we did, was we did a mashup of Don't Look Back in Anger meets uh, no Woman, No Cry, Bob Marley. Oh, fuck, we did. <laughs> because they're the same chord progression. And I was kind of like, hey, this would be kind of funny. But it works so well together. And now thinking back, I'm like, I think I've always been a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point, dude. Okay, okay. Well, cool. You have something with that song, too. So that's... Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, that's interesting. But yeah, so that's... I kind of had to put them on there, so... Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm so glad you did. That's so awesome to hear. Um, okay, my number four um, is gonna be Nirvana. Oh, um, okay. You got a pretty low I, there, buddy. But okay. 
<laughs> I know I wanted to put him higher, but I mean, no. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, it's it's legendary. There, there's not much to say about this performance. And when you think of MTV Unplugged, like Nirvana is pretty much the first band that pops up. If you go to any list, best unplugs, Nirvana is number one or number two all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was truly legendary. Like um, Nirvana has always had a very special place in my heart as well. Um, because I mean, just and and what I think is so cool about that set is, well, and we'll probably get into this a little bit too. They put so much thought and work into not only doing like their songs. They did some deep cuts. They did some weird covers that like no one saw coming. Yeah. They covered David Bowie. Um, they covered that blues song. Uh, Where did you sleep last night? Uh, um, yeah, Lead Belly. Lead Belly, yeah, yeah. Um, and man, it was just so cool like to see Kurt kind of like that um, stripped down and raw and his voice was on point. Everybody in the band was on point. Um, it, it was a legendary performance that I think should be, yeah, pretty much everybody's number one or two, except nine. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, do you, <laughs> what it, do you have anything to say about Nirvana's set? Yeah, so we kind of agreed before the episode started. We knew we would have some overlap, so we would just talk about them at the same time. That's my number one. Oh, shit, okay. Which is funny, because I, I said that Pearl Jam was going to be number one. No. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Nirvana's Unplugged. That's my number one. I think that... Um, yeah, I agree. It's totally legendary. I think... I think I could probably go out on a limb and say you probably put it number four because I think you felt an obligation to include it because the parts of it that are important to you, but you're probably just so tired of it being number one that you just weren't <laughs> going to do that. Uh, a little bit, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but I do think that it is legendary. I think it is a milestone. Uh, I think one of my favorite parts of it is just the fact that if you actually watch the full performance like of the DVD or watching the whole thing, Kurt is really funny in it. Yeah. Like, uh, he goes on like a riff about that, uh, oh, that, that super religious claymation show. I forget what it's called where it's that little boy and his dog. And it's just like super Christian claymation show. <laughs> Oh, I I can't remember that. I do not remember this. Okay, I I saw it a couple times growing up, and um, yeah, it's 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 the worst thing. It's like it is so uncomfortable and not. You think it's Christian-y, <laughs> but it's like really like conservative Christian-y in a way that's like upsetting. <laughs> but it's like all these like claymation figures. It's a bad time. Yeah, um, sounds like yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. I've watched it a couple times high with buddies, and it's it's not Ooh. yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I I think it's totally iconic, and I think that solidified Nirvana's because a lot a lot of people. This is I saw a documentary about it. A lot of people really did not think it would be good, or didn't understand how they would even do it, and then Nirvana showed up and like did one of their best performances and I yeah. think it solidified them. And I think, you know, Hey, you just listened to two episodes of grunge and here we are now. But I think that also solidifies what grunge was. It was a little bit more than just being loud and being angsty. Like there was more mm. to what it was. And I think Nirvana like actually solidified that. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, the like, it all comes back to the pinnacle of is a song good? Is can it sound good on acoustic guitar? And if you ask me, like a lot of days, I would probably rather listen to their unplugged album than I would like in utero or something. Like <laughs> sure. Like I think they're uh, yeah they're the they open up with about a girl and that sounds yeah. so much better than on Bleach. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um. Okay. So yeah. But yes, that is my number one. But yes, sweet. You better have a good number one. Uh it's gonna be pretty good. So, okay. Okay. Um, what do you want to do? You do you want to do your number four next? Then? Yeah. So I'll, is that where we're? Yeah, at? I'll just go ahead and do yeah. my number four. Um. So I have Miss Lauren Hill. Oh, that's a good one. So I felt kind of weird about including this one, but I included it mainly because I didn't know about it. Yeah, I didn't know about it either. <laughs> didn't know she did one. She did do one, and I I have this whole blurb from essentially Wikipedia. Yeah, gotcha. Fill me in because I wanted to like include mine on there because obviously she's great, but I couldn't. Number one, I couldn't find the full video on YouTube, so I could only listen to the audio. Correct. So I was kind of like, uh, I can't. I don't know if I can judge this uh, all the way. Um, I, so I didn't yeah. go down the rabbit hole like you did. So please, I'm excited to film for you to film. Okay, in. perfect. And I totally agree <laughs> because I do think a major part of MTV Unplugged is having both the visual and the audio. Yeah. So I feel a little bit weird about this one, but. I just have to roll with it. I'm going to read this blurb to you. So it had been three long years since Lauren Hill released her debut LP, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. When she stepped onto the MTV Unplugged stage, she had a ton of new songs, but she was just learning how to play guitar and clearly was in no position to be presenting them to the <laughs> public. Anyone with ears can hear that there are only three chords being played on every song. An anonymous industry executive told Rolling Stone in 2003, I saw it with a room full of professionals, and someone said, I feel like jumping out a window. <laughs> Tough room. <room. laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, but with her label, label desperate for new Lauren Hill music of any sort, they released it as a double album. A lesser artist that would have never been released, an industry insider said. A lesser artist would have been shot and thrown out the window. (laughs) But 16 years later, things feel a little different, especially since there was no follow-up of any sort. It's an artist battling a shredded throat, the crushing weight of industry expectations, and her own fragility. Putting this all out there for the public to see was an amazing act of courage and the most unique, unpolished, unplugged ever to see the light of day. Yeah. Wow. And then you listen to it, and it sounds fine. It sounds fine, yeah. I listened to a few songs. I was like, I didn't, because I I think I read that same article that you got that from, and I didn't quite hear it. I was like, this is pretty good, actually. Yeah, because she's (laughs) fucking that good. Yeah. And that's where, and it kind of goes back to that thing that we're saying about playing a song on acoustic guitar. She wasn't (laughs) a good guitar player. She was just learning how to play guitar. She was doing Mm -hmm. the thing where you take three chords and just work that into every song. And I think it's really good and really vulnerable, and I think she does a good job. And then I thought, I wanted to include this about the part coming from the music industry side of it, is that there is so much pressure that we don't understand when it comes to the music industry. And I think someone like Lauren Hill at that time to kind of come out with the guitar, 
I, I think it's like, uh, I, I do. I think it's, they said it, and I totally agree. I think it's a really brave thing to do, to be like, well, I'm not really a guitarist, but it's unplugged. I got the guitar. Here's my mm-hmm. songs. And I, I think the reason they have all these negative, uh, negative comments is because there wasn't a lot else going on. It wasn't, for example, one of my honorable mentions is Neil Young. He has a really good unplugged. I did not include him because it's kind of just standard Neil Young. Neil, <laughs> Neil Young right. and acoustic guitar. Whoa! <laughs> what? Get out of here! Yeah, what, what are you fucking talking about? <laughs> and um, I think that's what they didn't like about it. And I, but I would challenge anyone to listen to that and not be like, I mean, maybe she's not singing to her full potential, but that's what's so crazy is it sounds amazing, and it just solidifies how good of an artist she was and is. So it was mm. just one with a really interesting backdrop that I I was just like, I have to put this on here. Even if yeah, it's not totally. the actual best unplugged, <laughs> it's just, wow, is it fucking interesting. Yeah, no, completely, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So, all right, number three. Okay, number three. Um, number three for me is Dashboard Confessional. <laughs> And I know this is probably not going to be on your list, and that's okay. Um, it's my number Dashboard one. Confe- <laughs> Dashboard Confessional holds another special place in my heart. Um, we were talking about like pop punk music earlier. I was a quote-unquote angsty teen in the early 2000s, and I just love Dashboard Confessional. They're this kind of like um, pop punk emo band um, that... Uh, I was actually kind of surprised that they did an MTV Unplugged, but Me I too. am familiar with this one. I actually do on this one on vinyl. So oh. um, it's a, it's actually a really wow. good album. Um, <laughs> not to brag. <laughs> but um, what, I, what I like about it so much is that not only is it like an artist that I really, really like, um, but it's kind of a unique MTV Unplugged compared to the, the other Unplugs that I listened to. Um, in that um he's doing his his songs acoustically but they also have like the crowd mic'd up and since he's such a kind of like a pop punk icon at the time there were a lot of his fans in the crowd and he encouraged like singing along um so his the album especially um kind of plays more like a stripped down acoustic live album where there are parts of the song there are parts of the set where he just like completely stops singing and all you can hear is like a room full of like a hundred teenage girls um that are like singing his songs and it just it's such a cool experience man and that's one of the things i i love so much about music and i've said it before is like well i what um there could be a room full of people that don't know each other at all, but they're singing the same words um, at the same time for totally different reasons. Yep, yep. Um, it just brings me, be- I can't remember who, who said that, who that's a quote by someone legendary. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, so. I don't think you <laughs> came up with that. No, that's why I wanted to say. I did not come up with that, but I've said it before, but I just can't remember who said yep, it. So yep, me neither. Actually <laughs> me neither. Um, all right, cool, cool. Well then it's mine. Um, <laughs> yeah, I said it. <laughs> It was me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was just so cool to hear like the, the, the his not only his passion and his like stripped down acoustic voice, but also just the passion of the entire audience, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and, and I have no qualm with dashboard confessionals. I like dashboard confessionals. Uh, yeah. But no, that's really cool. You know who else did it that way? Uh, Bleachers. Oh, yeah. Which is a shittier band than dashboard confessionals. <laughs> um, but I, I, have a, I have a pretty deep, well, not deep. I appreciate Bleachers. Um, oh, dude, I appreciate the hell out of Jack Antonoff, man. He's amazing. Mainly him. Because he was in... He was in the format too, wasn't yes. he? Yes. So main, or, or maybe it was fun. I can't remember. Well, it was both. He was in both. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Well, then I'm yep. right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was in both. But no, that's that's kind of one of the things that I appreciate about him. Um, I appreciate him more so than what Bleachers was. But yeah, I I listened yeah. to. I didn't include them, but he did that. You know, want to get better, which was probably their yeah. big hit. Um, but but it was the exact same way. It was like a an acoustic live album kind of vibe because he just like wouldn't sing the chorus most of the time and just let everybody Ooh. sing it and it was cool it was cool to hear and uh that's one of the cool things about the live music and you know doing it acoustically it's much more intimate um yeah so it yeah it adds a whole new level to it but yeah that it i will admit that's a sleeper i did not expect dashboard <laughs> confessionals to show up on either of our lists to be honest with you <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, especially Nirvana, uh, especially ahead of Nirvana in my list. I'm going to get so much hate mail. <laughs> sure, sure. But I get it because, you know, it's it's relevant to you. It's your list, and it and it does make sense. Yeah, sure. Send me all the hate mail you want. It is Villerman94. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can reach him at. You can, you can edit that out. I almost said your real email address. <laughs> ah, you're far enough off. Be okay. Okay. <laughs> Find me, motherfuckers. I dare ya. <laughs> uh, okay, so my number three is kind of your number three for me. Oh, okay. That was, uh, what I, I guess what I was trying to say is my number three <laughs> is there for a lot of the same reasons your number three is there. Yeah, I got where you're going So with mine was Florence and the Machine. Oh, dude, I almost put Florence and the Machine on mine. So, yeah, what you got? So, I think that there... Th- I'll start with the downside. The downside, not very long. It's like four songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the upside is I think that we all owe her an apology because she should be one of the biggest bands. I, Dude, I've been on Florence and the Machine, and I hate to be so hipster about it, but honestly, I swear to God, from the very beginning. Like I no, I know you have. I've heard you talk about her many times. Yeah, m- most people <laughs> who know me are like, I just do not play a Florence and the Machine song because we're going to hear <laughs> the whole fucking story and we don't want to hear it. And I'm not even going to tell it now. I'm just going to say I love Florence and the Machine. I think that she's a great artist. I think that she is an incredible singer, and that's one of my one of my favorite parts about her. Unplugged. There's some moments that she doesn't sound bad or that she's struggling. It's just when you hear it on the radio, you I think we all kind of think that it's too perfect that that's the way she sings normally and then you hear like her unplugged and it's just the way she she is like a producer's dream. You don't have to fucking do anything to her voice. Yeah. Because she's a great <laughs> singer, it's unique, it has character. And she's just that talented. There's this one part where she goes into her falsetto and it gave me chills because it just sounded so perfect, so unique and just all her own. 
and yeah, I fucking loved it. She had she did Dog Days is over, I think, to end it, and she had like a whole choir doing it yeah. with her, and I was like, fuck, man, this is really good. It's yeah. only four songs, so like it does miss some points there. It should have been a full yeah. set. But well, you completely glossed over pretty much the reason that I almost put her on my list is at one point she brings out Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age, and they do Jackson, a Johnny Cash cover. That's that's Cash, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't Jackson. Quote me on that. Yeah, it was a it was <laughs> yeah. a Johnny and June Carter song. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, dude, that was so good. <laughs> I did forget that. Yeah. Also, she did a cover of uh, of Otis Redding's Otis Redding's uh, "Try a Little Tenderness." Oh shoot, dude! I love that song. I need to go watch that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I I'll be frank. It's kind of another con. I don't think it's a great cover. Uh, okay. I think her voice is great. Her singing it is mm-hmm. great. I think the arrangement is not amazing. Yeah. Okay. So this is. Sense. I put her on here because I think it's worth a watch. I think everyone should listen to Florence and the Machine. But it is one with some good and some bad. But I wanted to include that because I think that's kind of interesting with her as an artist because she is an acquired taste. If you don't like her voice, you might as well never listen to it again because you won't like any song ever. Um, (laughs) But if you are into her voice, I think you could run the gauntlet because I think she's one of the most original artists that we've had and nobody fucking knows who she is so right yeah <laughs> anymore at least, so but yeah that's my number three um cool okay um so i guess my number two then i think is where we are um this is another one did not know this was a thing until i watched it like a week ago and i'm so embarrassed um, you gotta watch the Yo MTV Raps. Uh, I think it was from either '92 or '94. Um, it was incredible. They basically did a compilation unplugged set with De La Soul, uh, A Tribe Called Quest, uh, MC Light, and LL Cool J. Um, they each come out and did a couple songs and blew my mind. This was kind of like the turning point of like MTV trying to get into like rap music. Um, so it was pretty much the first unplugged that wasn't like a rock artist. Um, and they, they come, they came in and they crushed it. They, they did the full like unplugged thing where they had acoustic guitars, acoustic bass. Um, but then they had this kind of like, rapping spoken word sections um ll cool j came out and did one of his most legendary performances that he will never be able to live down because he had like the streaks of white deodorant under his armpits Uh, and people apparently ask about him to this day um wow (laughs) it was basically the 90s equivalent of like 50 cent like hanging upside down from the super bowl a few years ago when he was like kind of kind of kind of a big guy now Um, yeah yeah. yeah, ll cool j did something similar in the 90s he just like got roasted for his white deodorant streaks um which i think is hilarious but yeah man they killed it um mc light i didn't even know that i was an mc light fan but she is such a good rapper and can just like completely entertain a crowd and oh man it was it it was so good (laughs) yeah i also did not know about this (laughs) so i'm kind of right here in the same boat with you so uh yeah wow that's fucking awesome yeah okay here it is from 1991 it was yo unplugged rap oh Um, interesting so yeah they were trying to rebrand a little bit yeah okay um 
it was crazy because yeah man i've and, and you know i've always been a huge a tribe called quest fan yeah um that was pretty much like the first rap group that i like got really into um and just to kind of hear q-tip do a uh it's a, a tribe called quest is mostly q-tip let's not beat around the bush he's amazing sure. <laughs> there was a really good interview i want to say it was q-tip i could be wrong but there was an interview where they caught him somewhere and they were asking a bunch of people well they were basically asking everyone from a tribe called quest who are who who's the best rapper like or like who's your favorite rapper and q-tip was like me <laughs> he had a funny response after that. It's phenomenal yeah, answer. But it, Absolutely. It was super funny. He was, I think he said like me and then he was like, "Well, I want everybody to say me, but I know they're not going to." Or something like that. And I was like, <laughs> "This is kind of like completely unrelated, but it's kind of funny. Um, did you ever hear about the interview that they did with uh, Old Dirty Bastard from Wu-Tang Clan? And uh you'll have to go like find the video cuz I can't remember all the details, but they were asking him like why are you on food stamps? Like, why? Like, you you just put out a platinum album. Why are you go getting food stamps from the government? And he was like, because it's free. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> because I believe the interview is they go with him to get the food stamps. Yeah, that's, you're exactly right. And he, yeah. he rolls up in a limo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. He just looks at him like so amazed. Like, what a stupid fucking question. It's free. It's free. free. <laughs> You dumbass. Uh, long live ODB. <laughs> Fucking crazy. Crazy person. Uh, all right. Yeah. What about uh, you? Your number two? Yep. So my number two is Pearl Jam. Yeah. So they got to be on the top five. Nirvana kind of beat them out. And I I don't think we really added anything to the Nirvana con- conversation of why they're the best unplugged. Well, according to me and not you. Oh, well, actually, sorry, <laughs> let me rephrase. According to everybody but you. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> there's not a lot to say about that one. But I I, I thought Pearl Jam was going to be number one, but I just... The big thing with Nirvana's Unplugged is that like Kurt Cobain died not long after that. So this right. that's one of the last major things they did. Um, so that adds to the intensity and even Kirk Cobain said, I want it to look like a funeral, uh, you know, it's heavy shit. So I think that adds to it, but I got Pearl Jam at number two. Uh, one is just fucking amazing and they kind of cheat because they're all playing acoustic instruments technically. But Dave Abrizi on drums is just drumming his little heart out. Just going batshit crazy. (laughs) They just turned all the acoustic amps up to 12 and just <laughs> rock it. it. It's a Pearl Jam show. Just instead of electric instruments, they have acoustic instruments. Mm-hmm. But I love it because, God, I get why people were so into Pearl Jam. Like, I, I, God, I would have just, I would give anything to just be there in that audience during that set. It's so crazy. And yeah, and weren't there like 50 people in the crowd? Like, talk about intimate. Th- yeah, it wasn't a huge audience. Like, it felt like they were playing to 2000, but it was like, yeah, le- it was less than Nirvana's Unplugged. Yeah. Like, wholeheartedly, there's not many people in that audience. Um, but my favorite part about Pearl Jam's Unplugged and why it's number two, and, and you could make a case it's number one, is the ending is because they ended on Porch, and Eddie Venter just went bash it. 
you know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh, you know, Pearl Jam kind of got like a reputation, or Eddie did, of him just climbing on everything. Like, he would climb as high as he possibly could on the stage to mm-hmm. a point where people were like, oh my God, he will die this way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was like his his shtick for being on stage, mm-hmm. but they did Porch and they just tore the house down, rocked it. Eddie Vedder's improv and he's singing lyrics that aren't in the song. Uh, he mm-hmm. gets up on the stool and he's like rocking out and he writes pro-choice on his arm during that. Yeah. Which this was like 90 fucking two. This was 1992. The dude gets a Sharpie, writes pro-choice on his arm, which I think is, I mean, that's pretty fucking bold for 1992. Yeah. And then it made me, <laughs> the reason that that blows my mind so hard is it made me realize what the song was about. But if you take pro-choice and take out some letters and squish it, it's porch. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> you just blew my yeah. mind. <laughs> that's why, like that. It, I mean, you don't even, don't watch the whole thing. Just get on YouTube and watch Pearl Jam do Porch Unplugged. It is fucking amazing. And the improv lyrics he's singing is like about fucking pro choice, dude. It's fucking. I was yeah. like, God damn! I don't. I just. I can never not like Pearl Jam. It's just oh my god, absolutely. You know, just, and what I think I uh, what I think I like most about that set too is because I I pretty sure I read like they were kind of like it was a very last minute thing where they had spent like all day like on a plane flying out to Europe or wherever it was recorded at. So they they had like a day to like get everything together. So that's why they didn't do anything crazy like covers like Nirvana exactly. did. Yeah. Um, they kind of were just like, oh shit, we need to we have six hours to get an entire set for MTV unplugged. And that's what they came up with. And it was amazing. Yeah. I, I, and, and actually I didn't know that tidbit, but that makes a lot of sense. Cause it was just a normal Pearl jam show. They just had acoustic <laughs> yeah. instruments. So yeah, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. So let's hear your number one. <laughs> okay. If it's um, Eric Clapton, Weezer, I'm just kidding. Yeah. If it's Eric Clapton, dude, I'm fucking leaving. It is not Eric Clapton. I made a choice to leave him out of the entire conversation. Good. Um, so my number one is Page and Plant. Um, this is another oh. one that I did not know existed until like a week ago. Yeah, I've watched this one. Is it Robert Plant and... Yeah, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page did one in 94 oh. that eventually... Okay. Sorry. That <laughs> what were you thinking? I, I was thinking of when Robert Plant did that album with Allison Krauss. <laughs> oh yeah, he's still doing those. I think they put out like two or three together. Um they're okay. Yeah. I like I like <laughs> the first one more. But anyways. Okay. Yeah. No, for so from ninety four, um Robert uh yeah, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page got together and uh did this. It was almost kind of a reunion thing, not an official reunion, but they hadn't done anything together in a while, um, since the passing of John Bonham. Right. And what I like so much about that this set particularly and why it made my number one is unlike Pearl Jam, they put so much prep into this they hired the london metropolitan orchestra they hired this orchestra from egypt to come out and play these weird fucking instruments that i've never even seen before um (laughs) and they they had these they had like a trumpet player that was playing like some of the lead guitar parts and they had a trumpet solo it is the most 
insane hmm. like instrumentation adaptations of Led Zeppelin songs. Um, and they did it for 90 minutes. It was a 90 minute set wow. um, that eventually became their album, uh, No Quarters. If you've ever heard that album, it's like basically inspired because of the set. It actually has a lot of the same people and instrumentation. But um, I listened to it the other night because they, um, leading up to St. Patrick's Day, I had heard their Battle of Evermore. Yeah. And he starts out on this mandolin. Yep. And I'm like, holy fucking shit, this sounds like an Irish song. Um, this is really cool. And then it zooms out. And he's not playing a mandolin. He's playing a three-necked guitar. The top neck is a mandolin. The middle one is like a six-string yeah. guitar. And then the bottom one's like a 12-string guitar. I was like, what is that? I've never seen a three-necked like I've seen a the double neck guitar that's crazy. Triple neck? Get out of here. That's insane. <laughs> Have you ever seen uh well you know in Tenacious D in the Picadestiny oh, where he yeah, does yeah, the, yeah. he's got the the four neck guitar but it's like a woman's leg. Yeah. So that's an actual guitar <laughs> that an actual band Is it really? Yeah, used. I totally forget the name <laughs> of the band, but they were like a hair metal band and that was an actual guitar that that guy used on stage. Wow. Yeah, so fun fact. <laughs> but yeah, so wow, that's really cool. I don't I didn't know about this one at all. Yeah, you definitely go listen to I mean it's 90 minutes, don't listen to the whole thing, but um there's a couple really good songs on it. They did a cover a killer cover. I shouldn't say cover because it's them. They did a killer version of Cashmere, I think to end it. And if you've ever heard Cashmere acoustically, um it's crazy good yeah, like, yeah it does it has no it has no right to be yeah that good. that's what i was gonna say i <laughs> cashmere is this weird nebula of just why is this so good because it shouldn't be because it's very yeah. syncopated not really in four four and just weird as shit but god that song just rocks man yeah, and it rocks so much harder when you have an entire orchestra doing the da -na 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 -na. It's like, what the hell is this? Yeah, man, that's <laughs> that's a big part of Zeppelin that is surprisingly like uh just it, it I know that Zeppelin has some black stains on their history. For sure. For sure. But God, are they just geniuses? <laughs> I one of my favorite Zeppelin stories is John Paul Jones was at like uh, the Grammys or whatever, and uh, I think he was sitting next to, I, I think it was Dave Grohl or somebody like that, and uh, somebody came out and like won a Grammy or whatever, and it was I wish I remember who said it because it, it makes it funnier, but I cannot remember. But they were like, most people don't know what it's like to sell millions of records and be this world touring <laughs> star and change music forever. And John Paul Jones leans over and goes, I do. <laughs> so and incredible. I just, I was like, that is so funny, dude. That's so yes. good. But yeah, um, no, that's awesome. That out of everything we've talked about 21 pilots, I'm going to go watch <laughs> and I'm going to watch this. This not full Led Zeppelin, but basically Led Zeppelin little reunion unplugged. Like yeah. I'm, I really want to watch both those. Yeah, man, uh, they're very good. Yeah, so <laughs> cool. Okay, well, my number one was Nirvana. Like I talked about earlier, I, I think we said everything that we need to to say about that one. Now there is 
Okay, I do have one more joke from that DVD that I'll will end on, but there's one part where somebody yells out uh well there's one part where Kurt is like are there any requests and they start naming out like Nirvana songs and someone yells out the song Rape Me and Kurt goes, "I don't think MTV yeah. will let us play that." <laughs> and then naturally, you know, this being like 94, you know, somebody goes mm-hmm. like Freebird. <laughs> And uh, and then, because uh, it was when they brought up the meat puppets, so then they are they all start playing "Sweet Home Alabama," and Kurt is just like, "Wow, wow, 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 wow." I just thought it was really funny, like, because because we know and we've talked about the the alliance of musicians who. If somebody yells out Freebird, they'll play a shitty version of the entirety of Freebird. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think the only thing funnier yeah, than was... that is playing Sweet Home Alabama in a really obnoxious <laughs> way. Uh, that is incredible. Love so, yeah. But all right. That was our top five MTV Unplugs. Really good idea. God, I think your list is better than mine. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, so parts of it are embarrassing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Nirvana is number four, so that's all that you need to say. Now, <laughs> did you put them there out of obligation? Uh, I put them there because I. It's the I, I think it's the one I was like most familiar with. So I did go back and like do a refresher, and I was like, oh yeah, this is really good. But I have never heard Yo MTV raps before, right? And I am excited to talk about this. Yeah, <laughs> this is insane. That's where I was having a little bit of trouble, and admittedly, I kind of stonewall. I didn't get as much time as I wanted to actually go check out some of the like like Miley Cyrus's. That could have yeah. probably easily been on mine unless they really did something stupid. But yeah, it's wild. MTV Unplugged is really cool, really important. This was a really good fucking idea. So I definitely think yeah. if you somehow haven't watched MTV Unplugged sets, you like absolutely <laughs> need to. Like for it's, sure, it's a staple of music, which is kind of surprising. I mean, touche to MTV. They've done a lot wrong, but wow, they got that right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, Mitch. Well, besides our uh, top five list uh, in regards to MTV Unplugged, uh, what have you been cranking? Um, I have been cranking. You're gonna you're gonna love me for this. My Discover Weekly, like the my Discover Spotify, yeah, Discover Weekly. Uh, I was I check that out every once in a while. Sometimes there's some good songs on there that I'm like, oh, I forgot about this, or like I didn't know about this at all. Guess what showed up this week? Jape. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, how have we not talked about Jape until this moment? Yeah. So uh, this the Jape song came up. Um, it was one of like a newer song, and it was very good. And I was like, I kind of forget like what jape is or like why eli likes it so much so i mostly brought it up because i'm like i want you to to like fill me in on jape because i'm still not very like you know familiar with their work so what's the deal (laughs) bro you that is a tall order you have put before me because i still do not know 
So, Jape <laughs> is this Irish guy who makes this really weird, melodramatic, somber electronic music. Um, so, I only know about him because in uh, probably 2011-ish, right after I graduated high school, I was hanging out with my buddy. Oh. We were going to community college. We didn't have a lot to do. Shocker. Um, so we're hanging out at this community college, taking classes together, hung out a lot. We carpooled, all that good stuff. My buddy, Corey, I know he doesn't listen to this, but shout out to Corey. Uh, so we used to hit up half price books. We would go get Chipotle, go to this half price books, right? So we're in this half price books one day and he handed me, he said, Hey, what do you think about this CD? So he hands me the CD, and it's and it's Jape's 2008 album Ritual. So everyone, do yourself a favor and Google that <laughs> that album and take a look at the album art because it is fucking insane. So it's this <laughs> yeah. very mild mannered Irish guy with a giant synthesizer in front of him, with like a window behind him, and like in the window is like. I, the best way I could describe it is like space and time. There's mountains and the sun and clouds. And he, I think he has like a glass of milk or something on the desk somewhere. It just, it looks fucking bizarre. Like, it, is, it, it yeah. looks so yeah. bizarre. So I bought it naturally. Of course. You we got went it. out to, also, that same day is where I discovered Rocket from the Crypt. You don't like. I don't think I'm yep, familiar. You don't. You're. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I played it for you. You're not really into it, but it, it's like a the weird early version of ska and kind of the continuation of ska. Oh, yeah, okay. It's, it's the punk version of ska. I I don't know enough about them either. I just. But it gotcha. was the same day. But anyways, <laughs> so we pop this in, man, and we start listening to it. Until this day, I can't describe this music. It's so weird. It's like at one point he has this like really lazy way of singing where he never really sings. He kind of talk whispers, but it's like there's acoustic guitar, but synthesizers, but drum machines. I don't know. But then as you listen to the album, it gets weirder and weirder. So, for example, one of his most popular songs is a song called I Was a Man. And it's a very electronic, kind of dancey, kind of, kind of, it, it's a little in your face. Um, but it, one of my favorite lines from that one is he says, I popped my cherry to November rain. <laughs> Meaning he lost his virginity to the Guns N' Roses song, November rain. <laughs> which is just hilarious to me. That is hilarious. Every time I think of that song, I think of the John Mulaney joke where he's like, hey guys, November rain is over. Wait a minute. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but then it's this whole song, and the ending is basically a Daft Punk electronic breakdown. And it's really good. That's crazy. So after the second track, I got so hooked. He also has a song called Graveyard about having sex in a graveyard. I typically skip that one. 
Then he has a song called Phil Linnet, which is about the lead singer of Thin Lizzy, who is also from Ireland, and it's a weird tribute song to Phil Linnet. And when you listen to it, I gotta be honest, it's pretty fucking goofy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think... uh... Just to let you know, if it makes you feel better, Jape is doing very well. Um, Kind of. Like, he has the song that came on my Discover Weekly is a song called Floating, which I will definitely put on the playlist. And it's good. It's pretty, like, psychedelic. It actually kind of reminds me of, like, MGMT stuff, which is probably why Spotify was like, hey, if you like MGMT's weird-ass album, you'll love Jape. And they're right. The song after that, I'm looking at their Spotify page. Floating has almost 6 million plays. The second most popular after song after that only has 724,000, yeah. which is a lot. But it kind of makes me think like, oh, I bet this is like a song that like blew up on TikTok or something. So actually <laughs> floating, the Raconteurs covered. Did they yep. really? Did not know that. That's Look it awesome. up. They did it at a live set. I want to say Glastonbury. Whoa, that's awesome. So I totally forgot about that until you said that. Because also, (laughs) I just want to throw this in here. That song is off his album called The Monkeys in the Zoo Have More Fun Than Me. Because he's a (laughs) fucking weirdo. Right. That that was the only other part of the story is that we had a public speaking class together So that me and Corey had. So what he did was he went up and told that story about that album that we bought by Jape. So at the end of it, he said, hey, I bought you this other Jape album on Amazon, <laughs> and here's the link. So I did that for you. That's awesome. So yeah, Jape is, God, I haven't thought about Jape in a minute. I know what I'm doing today, baby. Absolutely. <laughs> Binging some Jape. Wow. Well, thank you. That was uh, yeah, you are welcome. I, I was like, oh, Eli's going to love this. So, all right, well, what about you? What, uh, what have you been cranking? Uh, yeah, so the band that I have been cranking, admittedly, I don't know anything about. The first time I heard them was last night, and Aaron has been really into them. So because of our uh, blend playlist, I have one with all my friends now. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, by yes. the way, we fucking came up with that. That's the What You Crankin' playlist, by the way. <laughs> it is. Spotify stole our I'm, idea. <laughs> I, I, I was driving the other day, and I was like, motherfucker, that's what we've been doing for like four years. Right. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, it is a band, it's the band called Slough Thrust. <laughs> okay. It is S-L-O Thrust. Okay, yep. I am excited to see where this check goes. them out. <laughs> uh, they um, really what happened was we were listening to our blend playlist and this band kept coming up and I would see the name and I wouldn't think much about it. But every time they did, I I got more and more interested, and I'd be like, Aaron, who the fuck is this? And he's like, Oh yeah, it's Slouthurst or Slouthrust. I'm still confused on how to say the band name. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh yeah, sure, fucking then, uh, whatever. Uh, but what was so interesting is that each song would sound somehow the same, but so vastly different than any of the other songs by them I had heard yet. Hmm. So they have this album called Parallel Timeline, and the album cover looks like uh, like a Lisa Frank folder from the <laughs> 90s, so there's that. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it's just this like really cool ethereal folk 
kind of reminiscent of like Bonavere, maybe uh, Tame Impala, kind of. I guess it's okay. It's all in that vein of just like very weird psychedelic trippy uh, electronic rock. Gotcha. Because there's okay. guitars, but a lot of synthesizers, and it's really trippy and dreamy. I don't know. I really liked it. I uh, honestly, like I said, don't know a lot about them. There's a lot more that I want to listen to. So I'm going to be kind of like going through their catalog and really trying to find the stuff that I'm really into. Okay, cool. Yeah, I am very intrigued to check that out. Yeah, yeah. give it a listen because <laughs> I think, uh, it, you know, it reminds me of a little bit. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like uh, Mount Joy. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mount Joy is a little bluesier, a little bit more soulful. Kind of has a vein mm-hmm. and more neo soul. But uh, I think if they just like if like Mount Joy did more mushrooms, I think they would like <laughs> kind of go in this direction. Yeah, right on. I, I dig guess, that. So. But yeah, so yeah, check them out. We'll see. I still have to find what even I like. I just heard them last night, so hot off the press. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Dig it. All right. (laughs) Well, thank you guys for listening to The Vinyl Frontier. This is episode nine? I think you're right. So fucking next time we're in the double digits, baby. Kind of moving right along. And then I think we can just retire and call it after that. Fun one. Check us out next week. Uh, uh, Follow us on Facebook. Follow Knuckleball Studios on Facebook if you don't. It's where you get all the updates. I'm on there talking about stuff, you know. Not really. I'm not. I I I yeah. hate Facebook, but yeah. we are there. So if you ever need an update, check it out. Um, in the meantime, I guess uh, Scotty, if you could be so kind, can you beam us up back to the ship? If you can manage that, maybe get off your ass, Scotty. <laughs> And stop eating food in the fridge that is clearly labeled. God damn it, Scotty. I've, I, <laughs> we've been over this. We've talked about it. I, I'm not being a dick. I just, <laughs> I'm putting you on blast because it just keeps happening. You have one job to do at the end of every episode, and that is to beam us up. I don't know how you're not. Scotty, there's only three people on the ship. It's not, it's, we label our food. You're the one who doesn't. All right. Anyways, thank you guys for listening to the final part.